Thank you for joining me in the social sanctuary. As a digital marketing professional, I spend so much of my time online and the internet provides plenty of fantastic opportunities for us all, but it can also be draining. With so much noise, finding peace and time to reflect is more essential than ever before. Through inspirational conversations with key individuals, The Social Century invites you to take a closer look at important topics across the digital space, covering everything from cyberbullying to online influencers to how to get young people into work and the importance of mental health. Most importantly, The Social Century provides a break from the hustle and bustle of online life, giving us all a space to discuss the matters which really matter in the hectic modern world. Hello and welcome back to The Social Century for what will be the final episode of Series 3. Today I'm joined by Dr Mark Rackley. Mark has been working as a psychologist and helping adults, adolescents and couples to deal with challenges and difficult periods in life which affect physical, mental and emotional health for years. He also consults and comments on psychological matters for TV and radio, having featured on Good Morning Britain, Big Brother's Bit on the Side and ITV News to name just a few. I can't wait for you to hear my chat with Mark and I hope you enjoy it too. Thanks for joining me Mark. Um, Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work you do as a psychologist? Certainly Harvey and thank you for having me. So I am an adolescent and adult psychologist. I see patients from about the age of 13 and some of my patients would be in their 80s. My work, I suppose, is all around mental health. So I would treat all the different conditions that you would imagine a psychologist would treat. So I treat depression and anxiety and PTSD, OCD, eating disorders. I treat people that have had addiction problems. So all the kind of stuff that somebody's mental health might be affected by. A little bit about me, I'm from Dublin, obviously. Uh, I did all my training in Ireland, uh, in Dublin. Uh, I worked over there as a psychologist for a little bit. I've worked in various different uh, settings. Some of my work has been in secondary schools. I was a psychologist in a university in Dublin also. I've worked in a drug addiction clinic in Dublin also and centres for people who've been abused as children. And then when I moved to the UK, I spent just under seven years as a psychologist in the NHS where I was working in London as a, uh, uh, an adult psychologist treating patients with various mental health difficulties. And then I've been working in my own private practice now for the last seven years. Bit of a mixed bag. I've uh, done a lot, lots, of di- lots of different things so far. <laughs> and did you always have that interest in psychology and wanting to help people? Um, how did you sort of get into your career? I always found psychology interesting, but I suppose I wasn't, like, I never felt, oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. Uh, <laughs> for a long time, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. At one point, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, doctor, like a medical doctor, and I kind of thought, no, that's probably not for me. Psychology kind of came to me where I was, I was just thinking, about well, what, am I, what, am I, what am I doing with myself here? What do I want to do? And I 
said to myself, I'll give this a year, this degree a year and see how it goes. And if I find it interesting, I'll stick with it. And if I don't, then I'll drop it. And and I found, you know, I was really liking what I was learning. And then I did my degree and then I went on to do clinical training. And then um, before I knew it, I was uh, qualified in seeing patients. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I, it felt, I suppose, once I'd committed to it, it felt like, oh, yeah, this is the right fit for me. But in the beginning, I wasn't sure because I didn't really know what the job was going to be like yet. No. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it's good that you thought it was a good fit, I guess, once you'd initially qualified as well. Yeah, if I'm stuck in there now, I'm almost well, 17 years, so I don't think I'd know, <laughs> I don't think I'd know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so you've appeared in the media and television as well, I including have, yeah. being um, resident psychologist for Big Brother and celebrity Big Brother in 2012 for Channel 5. And I know yeah. um, I've seen you on Good Morning Britain. So yeah. did you ever see yourself having those experiences and how you found it? And do you think it's important for media outlets to use the platform to raise awareness around some of the issues that you help patients with? Yeah, so that kind of fell into my lap. I, I got a phone call from one of the producers for Big Brother and I actually thought it was a prank call. I didn't think it was real. <laughs> and because uh, it was never on my radar to do something like no. that. I said, yeah, why not? Why not? And I was a little bit nervous because at the time I was working for the NHS and I thought, I don't know how this is going to go down with my colleagues and my boss, you know. And I thought, well, listen, let's see how it goes. So... Yeah, I ended up doing three months on Big Brother and Celebrity Brother, which was, <laughs> it was equally fascinating and bonkers. Uh, I, would, yeah, I, used to, I used to sit in front of my television with a notepad and watch Big Brother making notes about what was going on in that particular episode. And then we'd have a meeting with the producers and we'd discuss what we would talk about on the Sunday night show. And then we'd record it live. So it was interesting because I've never done observational work like that where you're actually analyzing groups and, and social dynamics and what people are up to and all the stuff that's going on. So it was quite fascinating in that sense. And also I met some very interesting people doing Big Brother. Um, I bet, yeah. And, and the thing is, it is, it is fascinating telly because it's totally unpredictable and, and people are people really fall into that whole space and forget that they're on television. So it was very interesting and a Good Morning Britain was great as well. And I do totally agree that psychologists should be on TV. Uh, I think it's very important because mental health is so big now and because we're the ones who do the day job, we sit in our offices with our patients, we talk about this stuff all the time. I'm a big believer and I feel very passionate about accurate information going out on a on a very wide scale and i think especially on television you can have a lot of misinformation of people who aren't qualified to talk saying things which 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 as well meaning as it is can be quite dangerous especially around mental health because some people with mental health difficulties are very vulnerable so i'm all for expert psychologists absolutely 
it's not for everybody. And I know loads of my colleagues would never do it. I just think that's not for me. I don't want to do that. Fine. But I, I do think we almost have a responsibility to educate the public around mental health uh, from a professional's perspective. I suppose as well, like back when you did Big Brother, even though 2012 doesn't seem that long mm. ago, I suppose it was quite rare for anything around that time for, for a conversation to be started on mental health on such a um, platform um, because I feel that it's only become something that people are used to talking about in the last few years, um, say, especially yeah. since the pandemic. So... That was yeah. quite um quite good really for the time that that, that yeah. was something that the producers wanted to include. Yeah, it was. It was um very interesting just the 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 stuff we would talk about because um we would talk a lot about kind of group dynamics and social psychology, but also fundamentally Big Brother is a competition. The people are in it to win it. Because obviously there's fame and all the kind of perks at stake when you go into the big brother house and uh and it was very challenging because it, it's a it's not an easy thing to do to go and lock yourself up in a house and be filmed psychologically for the people going into the house that's not easy and that's why you see people you know voluntarily saying i can't do this anymore because uh it's just too hard psychologically it's very very difficult so uh yeah, for all kinds of reasons, it was something I will never forget. <laughs> but, but, but I do have to say, great fun, and I absolutely did not regret doing it. It was, it was, it was. Looking back, it was, it was as much a learning curve for me as mm-hmm. in, in my kind of career as I suppose it was um, learning how to actually talk psychologically uh, in that kind of television space. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So it's, and I suppose from that has come the other media opportunities yeah, as well. That's it. Yeah. It, it, it was a nice springboard, actually. Yeah. Mm hmm. And you help others to explore and combat sexuality issues that they might be experiencing. I know that's one of the many areas that you cover. Um, so is this common and do you feel that since we've become so used to social media, um, there's less of a sense of community amongst um, LGBTQ plus groups and almost do you, do you feel like it's easier for people to be um, negative about others in that space on, on social media as well? Yeah, I mean, working with LGBTQ plus people, I've been doing that literally my whole career because it's well documented that sadly they are one of the populations that can experience a lot of mental health difficulties for the obvious reasons being stigmatized or having to deal with the stress of. Uh, prejudice and discrimination so this is a group I am very very familiar sadly with with, with dealing with the challenges that that can produce and I suppose I, I always grew the feeling it's very much a personal story that people have so some of the patients I would have treated over the years have very different experiences of what it is to be part of that community some feel very connected to it and some feel very alienated from it actually and also you've got You've got lots of 
as well nuances within that. So some people are looking for a place to connect with people, not, ne- not necessarily just connecting online. And I, th- I think especially that, that if somebody's coming from a place where they've been very isolated in a community, because that could be a religious community or just even a rural community, and they need people. They need people to 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 kind of be around that they they can be comfortable with and that can um, identify with. And I suppose the big piece with social media, sadly, is it depersonalizes. So you know you you'll talk, you connect virtually, but sometimes we need a we need a person in front of us. We need to actually be around people. So I do think there is a sense of community there. Yes, but. I suppose for some of my patients, they would still feel quite lonely and isolated, even though that's there. And I suppose as well for some people, to be to be fair, they don't feel it. They don't feel sometimes it's quite welcoming. So they can feel it a little bit if you don't fit in with certain groups that there's no place for you. So I think it can yeah. be. It can be. It, I think it can be quite a challenge actually. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's easy for people to want to get drawn into that community. And like you said, almost lose that personal connection. So it's great if people can have a balance of in person and being able to connect with that online community as well. But I know that's not always possible for everyone. It just depends, I think, on people's circumstances. And also, You've got some people who are incredibly shy or introverted, so connecting in with with community can be a real challenge for them. Yeah, definitely. And and do you think it's important to start a dialogue with those who have opposing opinions or aren't supportive members uh, of members of the um, LGBTQ plus community? Do you think it's important for, especially in the media, for that conversation to be started and for people to be educated as well? I do. I'm a big believer in education. And, you know, this is something I suppose as psychologists we talk about all the time and not just in particular to the LGBTQ plus community, but neurodiversity, autism, ADD, bipolar disorder, you name it. We're always talking about, listen, we need to be talking about people's lived experiences, what this is like, because essentially what you're talking about there is inclusion. It's an inclusion and also that we share the world with people who are different on all kinds of levels. And nobody should have the monopoly on what they on what they say is the way people should be because that's just just too much individual difference in the world. And absolutely, I think you know that dialogue around educating people, helping them to understand other people's lived experience is so important. But I suppose the real kind of crux of that is is the how open people are to listening to that or somebody else's story. And you need to have a sense of openness, but also yeah. a, a sense that the person is willing to compromise if they are going to bring about any kind of change in your thinking. And sadly, you don't, you don't always meet people like that. Harvey Morton Digital offers a spectacular range of digital marketing services, including social media management, website design, and influencer marketing. Modern companies need smart solutions to their digital problems, 
and as the 2018 Ipsy National Young Freelancer of the Year, Harvey knows great digital with an excellent Trustpilot score. Get in touch with Harvey today at his website harveymorton.digital to take your online presence to the next level. I suppose you you sometimes get um, negative reaction and not always the feedback that you want as well. And it is, and it, and what you do with that, eh? you you can't force people to change their beliefs. We know that as psychologists, beliefs are some of the strongest cognitive processes that exist. And if somebody is open to changing their beliefs, then that's possible. But if they're closed and they're just not open to changing their beliefs, that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's such um, um, a difficult ground to to tread, I suppose. It it is. It is, and also it's it's a very sensitive area because as much as you people have the right to think what they think and to that needs to be respected, there's also a place as well of but where does this leave us? So if we don't open up the conversation, the conversation closes. Then where does that leave us in terms of progress, but also um, moving towards a more inclusive society? Yeah, and and do you think it's easier for young people today to explore and accept their sexuality or do you feel there's still a lot of friction to combat um, with the cases that you see? I think it's better. So I suppose, again, because I've been doing this job quite a while, I think it's definitely getting better for kind of younger, because obviously because I, I treat teenagers, Um I, I, I would be here I've been hearing these conversations for a long time I think it's getting better because it's more more discussed in the media people are understanding it an awful lot more but I still think again going on the research sadly that we know that you know, young people who are LGBTQ plus sadly are going to be more prone to mental health problems than people who aren't so there's still so, so sadly it's we're not in a place where you know they're home and dry in their adolescence they're still sadly prone to difficulties again because of the possible stigma and bullying that can happen with uh, young young people of that community mm-hmm. and i think things are always changing but sometimes that that change can take ages to to happen as well so it is hard. It, it's always going to be one of those difficult issues, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, with, with young people, uh, it's it's difficult enough at that because of the stage of life they're at and all the things that they're having to do as a young person. So, in an ideal world, they should be given as much support as they can to be able to navigate that particular piece. But um. Unfortunately, it's not always the case, which is probably why they end up sitting in my office. And, and for young people as well, it's coming up to the end of exam season. So yeah. you shared a brilliant series of exam stress busters on your social media channels. How would you recommend the young people de-stress after taking all their exams, but also while keeping a good routine over the summer break as well? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm constantly talking. I've been talking about this for months now. <laughs> it's it's the same thing every year when exams roll around. Um, yeah, it, it it's lots of lots of young people are going to crash 
they're going to be tired, they're going to be fatigued because it's full on and their brain is going to work really hard. So have some downtime. That's why I always recommend, but don't go mad. So like it's, it's not about kind of the exams are finished and let's all go bonkers. Um, do have things to look forward to. Go and enjoy yourself with your friends. Do some nice things. But also, I always recommend, like, don't lose sight of your mental health. So make sure you're getting enough sleep, that you're exercising, you're not drinking too much, that you're not doing anything that's going to harm your mental health. And also, have some structure too. So if you can, do some things that are... You know, if you want to, if you can get away on holiday or whatever, lots of my patients are off to festivals and stuff, which is great that they get to do all that stuff. Um, but one of the things that I, we, I always suggest is don't let things get too passive. The brain doesn't like passivity. So not staying in bed all day and doing nothing, that won't be good for somebody's mental health. So essentially it's managing the summer being balanced where you're not doing too little but not doing too much as well and 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 celebrate the fight you got through it yeah exactly and i think what you said about keeping a structure is really important because if you lose that then it can be a bigger shot to the system when september comes around and you've got to find the routine again absolutely absolutely it can be and it's remembering as well like the summer ends <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not forever it's not forever summer <laughs> yeah and although it'd be great if it was <laughs> yeah, it would be nice <laughs> for for those that are worried as well about exam results and yeah. outcomes of getting into sixth form or university yeah. do you have any tips to ease that anxiety because I know that it's likely to start small at the start of the summer while while everyone's just enjoying the summer for what it is but as that results day comes around it'll creep up and, and probably get, get worse yeah I suppose with that don't panic your results of course are important but they are not the be all and end all and also there is different options different things that if you don't if you don't get the results you want and you don't get into what the college you want or the university course you want okay that will be disappointing and that might be a little bit challenging because it, it will disrupt your plans but that doesn't mean that you can't renegotiate your plans and be able to then think about kind of what you do next so what i would always encourage is to just slow things down wait and see where you're at when the results come out and then think about what you do next yeah i think that's great advice and that's something you don't always hear like when you're in school in particular that there are lots of different options to get to where you want to be so it doesn't it's not always about the grades it's about what what action you take and and yeah to get to where you want to go that's it and not to not to panic about that like thankfully young people at a stage in their life where they you know, there's no rush Thing, things will move things will things will go down a certain road but sometimes you might end up on this scenic route and that's okay yeah, that's it. And things often have a way of working out anyway. So yeah. um, it's just 
trying to stay positive, I guess, in those circumstances if results aren't as expected. Yeah, and also as well, like it's it's not it's it's not game over if the results don't no. go your way. It's it might just be you just need to rethink. Okay, what do I do now? And get Absolutely. some support with that. Yeah. And there's always support there as well, online and in in person. So you recently started your own podcast, I Have Issues. Um, Can you tell listeners more about some of the topics that you've explored on the podcast so far or that you're planning to cover? Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Harvey. So yeah, this is a labour of love of mine. Uh, I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks and... um, I started the podcast because I felt that, you know, like I was saying earlier, with mental health, it, it, it can be a bit of a luxury. And unfortunately, waiting lists in the NHS are very long. And also, if you go privately, the waiting lists are also long and it can be expensive. So I felt that, well, that shouldn't be the case. It should, it should People should be able to hear these conversations around mental health uh, regardless. So I started the podcast and, and basically every in every episode, it comes out every two weeks, we discuss a different issue. So we discussed, so far, we discussed issues like fear, which can lead to anxiety and panic attacks. We've discussed guilt, um, which can lead to depression. Uh, we've discussed anger, which can lead to anger problems. Um, <clears throat> we discussed alcohol and the one that came out this week is on teenage self-harm. So every, every week it's either myself discussing something just with the listeners or in the last two, I brought on colleagues of mine who are experts in their particular field. So with alcohol, I had Dr. William Shanahan on, who's the top psychiatrist in, at the Priory. He runs the addiction services there. And then with self-harm, you know, self-harm, I had Dr. Claire Casey, who's one of the top London psychiatrists in this area too. So it's doctors talking to doctors. It's people who are doing their job a long time and really know what they're talking about. And it's very much about reassuring the the listeners that okay these things happen and they happen for a reason but it's all about hope hope around the fact that mental health is not something thankfully that you're just stuck with there are things you can do to help yourself so so that's kind of the the premise of it and uh, the next couple of episodes there's going to be the next one's on uh, shame the one after that's on mental health and children and then the one after that's going to be on attention deficit disorder, ADD. So different topics each week, yeah. And with different different, different guests. Loads of stuff. Lots <laughs> of uh, stuff for people to get stuck into as well. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's really positive as well, even with the um, topics that are covered. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's keeping that hope is, I feel, at the centre of, of what you've spoken about with with all the episodes so far. Well, it's so important because when people have struggled with their mental health, one of the things that can happen is they feel hopeless. And that's one of the, like, the real key things I wanted to address, which is like, it's not hopeless. If there, is, there are ways to find your way forward and even with the guests I bring on that's one of the things we always end with which is well you know, we're fortunate enough because of the job that we do we see our patients get better all the time yeah and, and that must be rewarding as well it is it's fantastic it's one of the 
and the best things about the job really that you get to mm-hmm. bring your patient from a place maybe where they're really struggling with their mental health and then when we do the piece of work and then when we get to the end we have a healthy person again and they can get on with their life yeah absolutely and and where do you see yourself kind of growing in the next five, five years um <laughs> do you have do you have things that you want to do aside from the podcast and um, yeah. i suppose regular social media videos yeah i want well i want to i just I'm fortunate enough, I have a very nice private practice in London, which keeps me very busy. So that kind of does its own thing. I suppose I want to take myself out of my office a bit more because I'm quite, yeah. kind of, you know, you were, that's the thing about being a psychologist. You're just locked away in your clinic the whole time with your patients. So you know, we don't, we don't always kind of step outside of our offices and actually talk on different platforms. So I suppose what I would really want to do is I want to do more of that. I want to, I essentially want to create a community around mental health uh, through the podcast, through social media. I want more engagement around this subject and that I would be the one driving that engagement. So that's where I kind of see things going in the next kind of five years and um, to try and really position myself as a mental health advocate who is doing the job and can be a source of information to people who are struggling with their mental health not just my patients amazing yeah Yeah. and and that's already starting to happen which is um, great as well so i guess if you could think back to um before you qualified and thinking about your teenage self what would your one piece of advice be for your 13 year old self yeah that's a fascinating question you know because it's (laughs) it's not something you really think about is it i suppose one of the things i'd want to reassure my younger self and say listen it's all going to work out and trust that you have everything you need right now to grow into the person that you want to be in the future. And the other thing I'd also say as well is that um, one of the things that's massively helped me is people. I can't underestimate the, or, or overstate the power of people, connection, conversation, all of that stuff. Having the words and having the, the space to talk and to let, let people influence you and guide you. I suppose one of the things I suppose where if I look back at my 13 year old self is um, I've always been a bit of a chatterbox. So maybe that's genuinely <laughs> good. I think yeah. instead that I talk for a living, but also I find people fascinating. I find people interesting. I like to hear people's stories. I like to get information from people. So I suppose I would tell my younger self, yeah, this is going to, this is going to be okay. And also you, you have what you need to get there. That's a brilliant um, piece of advice to end on. I guess people can find you on social media, can't they? They can do, yeah. It's at Dr. Mark Ragley and my podcast is on all the platforms. It's called I Have Issues. 
Brilliant. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. It's been great to chat. A pleasure, Harvey. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the social sanctuary today. I hope you leave feeling inspired and uplifted by that great conversation. You can find out more about today's guest in the show notes. And also, you can support the show by buying me a coffee using the link in the description. If there's a guest you would like me to invite on to the next episode, drop me an email, info at harveymorton.com, or if you have any feedback, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. I'll see you for the next one. Thanks for listening.